0: Hi everyone, Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Judging Freedom. Today is Wednesday, June 7th, 2023. It's about 1115 in the morning here on the East Coast of the United States. Scott Horton from antiwar.com joins us now. Uh, Scott, always a pleasure.
1: Uh, thank you very much you.
0: for joining us. Uh, do being. you think Ukraine is falling apart as a result of, uh, of the West the the, the military assistance of the west extending the war
2: Mm. the country itself or the it's military you mean
0: either way you can address it however you see fit scott
2: well i mean uh certainly in the far east of the country uh, you know many of these cities have been absolutely decimated so whoever gets to keep them is going to have a hell of a project to try to rebuild them again as far as, you know, how things are going in Kiev and Lviv and the other major cities, you know, west of Kiev there, um with all the American, you know, uh, billions that Biden is pouring in, I suppose they're holding it together. As we talked about before, Plan A here, the assumption was the Russians were going to roll right over the Ukrainian military and we'd be backing an insurgency all along. So it could come to the point where the government maybe crumbles and Zelensky has to flee to Poland and run a government in exile and his forces end up, you know, like Saddam's Fedayeen end up having to fade out and then take up as irregulars fighting a guerrilla war against a Russian occupation. On the other hand, you know, both sides have been, you know, uh, as is to be expected, overestimating and overstating their own strength and, Gains and overstating the other side's losses and weaknesses. So, like, for example, there's been all this talk about the summer offensive, uh, or the spring offensive that got kind of put off here because it was such a, a wet and rainy spring. Um, but then so nobody really knows what's going to happen, right? The headline is that these, all the forces that are going to participate in the new offensive have been trained in Germany on Western materials for months now. They were sending the kind of poor and untrained um kind of conscripts from Nowheresville off to the meat grinder in Bakhmut, while the real army was getting ready for the coming assault. There are some reports that say the coming assault isn't coming. There's not even going to be a major offensive. There are others that say that, boy, the Russians can sure expect the worst now once it's unleashed. I really don't know how to judge that other than to right. wait and see, you know?
0: Right. Here, here's, um, President, uh, President Zelensky, uh, just uh, last week. This is about three days before the dam, uh, was attacked. We'll get to the dam in a minute, uh, saying, uh, we're ready. In my opinion, as of today, we are ready to do it. We would like to have certain things. But we can't wait for months. We strongly believe we will succeed. I don't know how long it will take. He's talking, of course, about the uh, about the spring offensive. And then after the dam uh, exploded, and of course, he blames the Russians for flooding their own troops, which would be absurd. But that's what he says. Quote, the destruction of the dam confirms that Russian forces must be expelled from every corner of Ukrainian land, Hmm. which in his mind includes Crimea, which sounds like this statement was written by Victoria Nuland. I'll let you
2: respond. Yeah. Well, remember when an errant defensive missile hit a farmhouse in Poland or a barn, I guess, in Poland and killed two people, Zelensky immediately came out and said this was a deliberate attack by Russia against uh, a NATO ally, time for you all to go fight, he said. Right, right. So, you know, when something blows up and he says that this only proves X or Y, I'm not willing to, uh, you know, take his word for it on anything like that. And in fact, you know, I don't think anybody really knows what happened to the dam. In fact, I read a story um just a little while ago from the BBC where they had some, I guess, satellite or airplane pictures, I'm not sure, Judge, where they were saying, actually, it looks like the, the dam had been damaged over a period of days. So as far as I know, it was just a failure of, you know, maybe a lack of maintenance or some kind of thing just led to a failure of the dam. There may not have been a explosion. I saw one bit of footage that was purported to be an explosion as though it was a missile strike or a bomb going off, but then that was quickly identified as old footage. And I think even of a different dam. So I don't know exactly what happened here. Of course, both sides, even if it was an accident, both sides are going to blame each other. Yeah. If it was deliberate, then, um, you know, I don't know if the Ukrainians, I don't, I don't think they hit it with a rocket or a missile or something like that. Maybe they were somehow able to sneak in a bomb. Um, the idea that the Russians did it, as you said, I agree is very doubtful when this is, this reservoir is part of the reason for the war, frankly. So the Russians can, uh, guarantee these fresh water resources for Crimea because after, um, the annexation of Crimea in 2014, shortly after that, I forget exactly how long it was, uh, the Poroshenko government had cut off their fresh water resources, leaving them with essentially enough for drinking water, but none for agriculture or anything else. And so it was important for the Russians as one of their major goals of the war is to reestablish that canal and that access to that fresh
0: water. So uh, Colonel uh, Tony Schaefer uh, argues kui bono, to whose benefit? Right. Uh, and the uh, benefit of the destruction of the uh, dam is to the Ukrainians because it's flooding areas where there are uh, uh, Russian-speaking Ukrainians and, and Russian troops. Colonel uh, McGregor argues, as you do, that the dam has been degraded the Ukrainians may have toyed with damaging it and may have done some damage to it in toying with it. This is a year ago, uh, and it finally burst. I guess we're really not going to know. Gary, do you have the um, tape of the dam uh, exploding and the water uh, pouring through? Do you have that video that you can run now? I want to see if this is the same one that you saw. Oh, well, that's the water. Do you have the
1: one with the explosions, Gary? Here we go. Now, this purports to be the dam. This is three
0: explosions. It's a primary explosion, a secondary, and a tertiary. So I don't know if this is the one, Scott, that you um, uh, came to believe was done by the Ukrainians, and then it turns out it's old footage, or if this is of the same dam, uh, the source for all of this. That's the
2: same clip that I saw on Twitter yesterday that was quickly identified as being old footage. As far as I know, from somewhere else, it may have been, as you said, there was a previous attack on this dam. Yes. Where, in fact, If you bear with me, I have here the quote from The Washington Post uh, late last year. This is from Antiwar.com by Dave DeCamp at the top of the page today. Um, Andre Kovalchuk told The Washington Post he considered attacking the dam during the counteroffensive. Um, he considered flooding the river. The Ukrainians, he said, even conducted a test strike with high Mars with a high Mars launcher. Okay. This on is February.
0: This is February of 22, right? Uh,
2: it, I, I, am mm, not sure about that. Sir. Yeah, I think this is
0: the same. I think this is I the same piece so. that I read. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. So, so they did, well, it was with the high Mars. So no, they got those later than February. It would have been, it would have been later in the year, um, no, this but, is mean, know, what considering doing. it. Right. So, right. as you say, that could have that previous damage could have led to what happened today. You know what I mean? Right, right, I don't really know. right,
0: right. Uh, right before the dam uh, exploded, as, as if um, he's recognizing NATO getting some cold feet. Uh, Secretary of State uh, Blinken in Helsinki said this: "As I've made clear by virtually every measure." President Putin's invasion of Ukraine has been a strategic failure. Yet, while Putin has failed to achieve his aims, he hasn't given up on them. He's convinced that he can simply outlast Ukraine and its supporters, sending more and more Russians to their deaths, inflicting more and more suffering on Ukraine's civilians. He thinks that even if he loses the short game, he can still win the long game. Putin is wrong about this, too. The United States, together with our allies and partners, is firmly committed to supporting Ukraine's defense today, tomorrow, for as long as it takes. That's right out of Joe Biden's playbook, today, tomorrow, and for as long as it takes. Have they crafted, I've asked you this before, uh, Scott, have they crafted, as far as you know, an off-ramp for themselves, the administration,
2: Mm -hmm. the West? No, sir, I I don't believe that they have. I I think that you can absolutely take Blinken at his word for it, that that is their policy. I think, you know, his assessment of the Russian war is somewhat correct. If you wanted to add the weasel word so far in there, Putin, it's been more than a year. He hasn't been able to achieve his goals. America and its allies have flooded an inordinate amount of money and weapons and training in on the Ukrainian side, which clearly has made some difference in styming Russian forces. I think he's also right that Putin's policy is to wait us out and that he can outlast us. And but where I I think he's just dead wrong is the part where he says America will never back down and will never turn our backs on the Ukrainians, etc. That's just not true. That's what Condoleezza Rice and uh, Susan Rice said about Afghanistan and but we lost that war and eventually had to admit it and turn around and left
1: do you think
0: the do you think the, the the whole west nato not the newer members the older members of nato and maybe the the silent parts of the establishment around uh, blinken, biden, uh austin and company are tiring of the war, tiring of spending billions there, tiring of seeing no ukraine progress?
2: No, I'm afraid I don't think that. I think You know, the D.C. consensus seems to be firmly in their corner here. But the reality is what, as Barack Obama described it back after the loss of Crimea back to Russia in 2014, which is that this is the highest national interest of Russia. And it's just not for us. Ukraine is always going to mean more to them than it does to us. And you can hear it in the language of the Biden administration that Ukraine is really a means to an end. We could be doing the same damn thing in Lithuania right now, I guess. But we're, as Lindsey Graham says, killing Russians without us having to do it. And so they look at that as a good. As long as they can keep it going on, they look at it as though it necessarily is weakening Russia strategically. And what's interesting about this, I'm sure uh, Colonel McGregor has mentioned this to you, is that you can see that this is costing America and the West a lot more than it's costing the Russians. There was a new yes. report that came out that said they've only spent less than $70 billion on the whole war. And we're in it way over $100 billion by now. And, you know, with all the opportunity costs and the rest that's going on, uh, the real budget of what's being spent on this effort by the West has got to be, you know, five or 10 times that. And so who's giving who another Afghanistan in Ukraine? If this is all about the major powers using the Ukrainians to weaken each other, maybe as Putin said before the war judge, he said, you know, maybe they're trying to bait me into doing this. Maybe this is a setup. Well, maybe he decided that, well, you know what? I'm just going to turn it around on you and I'm going to
0: invade. But he's the one backing the Mujahideen and we're the Soviet Union, you know? Yeah, I, I think the West is trying to use Ukraine as a battering ram against him.
2: hmm. Yeah, I'm just saying it seems to be, you know, uh, boomeranging back on the American side, just like it always.
0: Here's, here's uh, President Zelensky again. And again, I'll read the uh, subtitles for the benefit of our uh, friends who are uh, catching the show on audio uh, only. But he refers to President Putin as a cornered animal.
1: All of our Western partners,
0: they have to understand what specifically they're afraid to lose, his constant Soviet-style threats about nuclear
1: weapons. All of
0: these are signs of a weak
1: man. And
0: that's how we have to act.
1: A cornered
0: animal. He is afraid of losing his life. He must be afraid of the strength of the world. But he, of course, to whom he refers, is, uh, is President of Putin. What does what this gain, Scott?
2: Man, it sounds like he's doing a commercial for non interventionism. We're going to let, you know, <laughs> who, uh, look, let's say that this guy is the most sober and thoughtful and, and brave leader in Ukrainian history. He's got a beef with Russia that has nothing to do with us. We're talking about, you know, you can hear sometimes some of the statements from the politicians in Lithuania and Poland where, boy, are they tough with America standing right behind them. But are we really going to let these people determine this policy for us? Vladimir Putin sitting on 6000 thermonuclear weapons is a cornered animal. We're using Ukraine as a battering ram to weaken Russia, as our government says, to the point where his regime crumbles and falls. And but Zelensky says, come on, be brave. You can't just let this guy threaten you with real war between NATO and Russia and the loss of hundreds of millions or billions of lives that that would entail. Because why? Well, because that would mean that he loses. That would mean that at some point we decide that, you know what, we'd be better off negotiating with Russia for some kind of compromise rather than sticking with this policy that they must eventually leave every last inch of Ukrainian territory, as you alluded to before, including the Crimean Peninsula. When, come on, man, even Rand McNally says that that ship has sailed. The Russians took Crimea back in 2014 and they're not giving it up to Ukraine without some H-bombs going off somewhere. And so, you know, this is completely crazy. And that guy might as well be advertising for antiwar.com and why you don't let tin pot dictators of foreign nations determine your foreign policy. This is straight out of George Washington's farewell address. Correct, correct.
0: Attachments and entangling alliances. And the tin pot dictator of a foreign country who was determining American foreign policy is uh Vladimir Zelensky Yeah because of uh the the nerve that he struck with the uh, western globalists in in western Europe and although we see some fraying of some of this uh in Germany and in France but certainly we haven't seen any fraying uh, well, with general, the American foreign
1: policy you know, experts look at this.
0: Look
2: at the word games that the Biden government plays. They go, look, we're giving them hundreds, well, already more than $100 billion worth of weapons. We're giving them all this training. We're giving them all the intelligence that they need. And, you know, numerous reports in the Post, the Times, and the Journal for a year straight, we're helping them kill generals. We're helping them target. Every time they launch a high Mars, they confirm the coordinates with the American satellite, you know, intelligence and all this. All right. of their main battle plans are all run First through tabletop exercises in Germany where they figure out exactly how the Americans are running this war, right? It's like the, the let me just in-
0: stop. Let me just stop you. The tabletop exercises in Germany reminds me of this piece you sent me early, uh, this morning and mentioned earlier in this, uh, show that the better Ukrainian troops have been training in Germany and being trained by NATO. Question. Mm-hmm. Are some of those trainers American troops and officers?
2: Well, in Germany, they absolutely are. And we know that there are some special operations forces in Ukraine and the and right. CIA special uh, activities division paramilitaries have been there all along. We know that from uh, reporting from The Intercept in The New York Times. And then right. the discord leaks confirm that as well. Right. And so exactly what role they're playing in terms of leading forces on the ground or something like that, we don't know. But God forbid that we have, you know, American special operators killed by Russians in battle on the ground in Ukraine. That could really lead to an escalation. And see, this is the point, right, is the Americans give all of this aid to the Ukrainians. But then they say, hey, how the Ukrainians fight the war is up to them. And if they decide they want to take back Crimea, well, good luck. And if they decide that they want to attack inside Russia, if they want to do sabotage missions or support these militias invading inside Russia, drone attacks inside Moscow, including on the Kremlin. Well, that's just completely deniable. Well, why is it deniable? Just because they say so? When we can't everyone imagine, knows, the world knows. Can't imagine,
0: can't imagine Zelensky's people doing that without uh, U.S. intel knowing about it and, and U.S. government either saying go ahead or knowing about it and looking the other way, which is the moral equivalent of saying, go ahead.
2: That's the new story in the Washington post. And I really like Seymour Hersh, but this is another version of the story that has the Ukrainians doing Nord Stream. And it says that they learned from one of these uh, discord leaks that a European intelligence agency notified the CIA in June that the Ukrainians were going to do it. And the Americans Look the other way and let them do it. So I don't know if that's the real story or whether uh, it's the her story. James Bamford had a great one in the nation saying he thinks the Ukrainians did it with, um, uh,
0: uh, you know, drones, unmanned submarines. When do, you that, did, do you think that do you think that these uh, attacks inside Russia, which just seem like little pinpricks, uh, are going to uh, change the culture uh, of the conflict? Well, they very well could. Right. I
2: mean, so imagine if someone did even an ineffectual drone attack. Uh, well, not just someone imagine the Russians or or uh, Russian sock puppets in Canada or something in the analogy did a drone strike on the White House where Joe Biden works and sleeps. Right. Where the president works and sleeps. The Americans would take that as though it was the equivalent of the 9-11 attack. Right? right. They would not take they would not say, well, it was a symbolic thing and they set the flag on fire or something. No, they would absolutely flip out.
0: And, and so, Putin, Putin has not. Putin has been a model of restraint. Well, I
2: mean, this is the thing about it, right? As they say, this is the coldest psychopath in the world, and maybe he is, but I prefer him emotionless. The reality is that he can be provoked to actual madness if you push him that far, the same as any man or any, you know, especially strong man, leader of a country as he is, you know, this, he might say, look, tit for tat, fine, I'm going to do something to Lithuania, then we're going to have a problem with Kaliningrad, or we're going to escalate here, there, another place. Um and so yeah, the deniability here doesn't work. This is on the United States and it very well could lead to general war between NATO and Russia.
0: Here's uh an a BBC interview with uh Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban, much of which I think you'll appreciate, particularly the last phrase of the last sentence at the very
1: end. You, you made a great deal about 19, I'm a 1956 fighter, yeah. and yeah, yeah. fighting for freedom. You have a neighbour who is invaded by Russia, the very country you know. You grew up with pictures of tanks going into Budapest. You know why you opposing no. the European aid? No, no, it's, it's emotionally, it's, uh, it's 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 tragic. So, so we all of our heart is with the Ukrainians. We understand how much they suffer but I'm speaking here as a politician who should save lives. So the most important thing for the international political community is to save lives, especially when you are convinced, as I do, that there is no chance to win this war. So therefore, what we should do far more energy invest into to convince everybody that the only solution is ceasefire. And then after the ceasefire, peace talks should start. And then we could back to your point, yeah to, do you, to but, the, you, but do you really think there is no chance of ukraine winning That's my surely point. the main surely the ma- they stand very little chance of winning without the aid which you are currently blocking no no my my, my position is that uh, looking at the reality, looking at the figures, looking at the surroundings, looking at the fact that NATO is not ready to send troops it 's obvious that there is no victory for uh, poor Ukrainians on the battlefield.
0: Looking at the fact that NATO is unwilling to send troops, it's obvious that even NATO, I'm paraphrasing, doesn't think there can be victory on the battlefield.
2: Well, look, I agree with everything that he said there. And it's this is war is a terrible tragedy. It did not have to happen at all, Judge. But the reality is that Russia is a much stronger nation than Ukraine, and assuming, which I think is a fair assumption, that Putin is not going to change the policy and back down, he still has millions of fighting age males that he can conscript and send into this war for years on end. And, you know, the kicking him out of the European economy and out of European civilization and so forth the way that they've done has just led him to redouble his efforts to expand his economic ties in Asia in a way that just makes the American economic war essentially a moot point. And so, um, you know, ultimately, yeah, they pushed it this far. And the truth is that now they're going to have to negotiate over the Donbass. Russia claims four provinces of eastern Ukraine not including Crimea. Now we're talking about Luhansk, Donetsk, uh, Zaprosia and Kherson. there. They claim four. Well, they're going to have to keep two, and we're going to have to figure out some kind of easement for the land bridge across the coast of Azov there between Russia and the Donbass and the Crimean Peninsula. And... That's where this war is going to end up, one way or the other, anyway. And people are just being killed for essentially nothing here. The do that it ends. I hope
0: that it ends soon, rather than a hundred thousand more human lives wasted, and a hundred billion more American dollars wasted. Scott uh, Horton, what a pleasure to have you on! Such thoughtful analysis. Very, very much appreciated by my audience. Thank you for joining us, my dear friend. Absolutely. Happy to do it anytime, Judge. Of course. More as we get it. Tell your friends, if you like what you see, Judge Napolitano for Judging Freedom.